All right, well, good morning. Welcome to East. Again, my name is Doug, and I'm the campus pastor here at Parkview East. It's a joy to be able to worship with you this morning. Um, I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, um, to take them out, open them up. We have been, as a church, walking through the book of Philippians. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, you can put your hand up, and Craig will come around and stick a copy in that hand, all right? So put your hand up if you need a Bible. The words will not be on the screen. Again, just a, I mean, just what a beautiful picture it is to see the church come around families and children. It's a, it's a, a phenomenal thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a really important thing. Um, just if you're new here and visiting with us, the way we do children's ministry is maybe a little unique. Um, we alternate weeks. And so on our, some, every other week we'll have kids' ministry happening out there during service, kindergarten on up through junior high. And then on those off weeks, kids are in the service. And we see a lot of value in that. That is a really, really good thing. As these kids grow, we want them to know what does a gospel-centered church, a church that is centered on the gospel, what does it look like? So as they go to college, they can look for a church and they know what to look for, right? And so there's a lot of value in them being in this room and listening to pages turn as men and women open up their Bibles, right? And seeing noses and eyes in the Bible of adults that they look to and want to emulate, all right? So there's significant value in having your children in this service this morning, all right? And so as a result, for those of us who may not have kids with us, um, there may be some noises that we're not used to hearing. And that's a good sign. That's a good thing. That's a good noise, all right? We're okay with families moving around, with kids moving around, crying occasionally. That's an okay thing, okay? So it's just the way it is here, all right? So it's intentional, all right? All right, so as a church, I said we're walking through the book of Philippians. So we're in chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. Verses 19 through 30. Um, I'm going to read this passage. I'll pray, and then we'll, just, we'll dive in, all right? It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. To, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I, too, may be cheered... By news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him and the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words this morning. Lord, I thank you for your truth, that you are a God who speaks. Let us this morning be a people 
who hear what you have to say. Oh, we thank you for just that revolutionary thought that you know all of our life and you have something to say about every part of our life. Um, we just confess that oftentimes we may not like what you have to say. Lord, it may challenge us in ways we don't want to be challenged. Lord, but we also acknowledge that your word comes comfort, comes joy, Father. And so I pray that we would see that those things are not at odds with each other, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would, as we look at your word, speak to us truth, that you would take this eternal truth, that you would write it on our hearts this morning. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. I don't know if you guys are like me, but um, my, me and my wife, you know, we don't have cable. We don't have a cable provider. Anybody in the house not have a cable provider? Cable service. Isn't that amazing? Okay, put your hands down. It's amazing, right? But we do have Netflix, right? <laughs> we do have Netflix. And on occasion, we will spend some time Netflixing, okay? We will spend some time watching some, some shows on Netflix, some documentaries, some series, um, different shows that we will watch. Now, one of the things that we do, there are some wonder, it's amazing how many shows are on Netflix. Like, every time I open it up, it's something new, a new series. It's like, how is it season two? It just, I don't get it, right? But all sorts of material to watch. And if you're not careful... You can find yourself watching some shows that after like two or three episodes, you kind of look at the person you're watching with and like, meh, let's move on, right? And just not fully committed, right? And so what, I, what I've gotten in the habit of doing is as I hear of new episodes, new series that have come out, I will go online, I will Google, I will see the stars, the ratings, like what kind of content is involved. And essentially, I try to make a decision. And the decision I'm trying to make is, is this show worth watching? Is this show worth watching? Right? If I'm going to commit, okay, to the next eight hours of my life, which I wouldn't do that, all right, but just let's just imagine, right? I want to make sure it's worth watching, that it's worth watching. And if you were, in fact, to take all of our life, all of our life, it's really about watching. Who you are is largely formed by what you watch, by who you watch. In many ways, our understanding of what life is and how life is to be lived comes from mimicry, comes from watching and imitating on every single level. This is true of language. It's the reason why there are some of us in here this morning who instead of saying something like, all right, we will say something like, okie dokie, right? Because you're from Iowa, and you don't say all right, you say either okie dokie or okie doke, right? Real nice, okie doke. Or instead of saying something like, wash, if you're from Iowa, you would say something that sounds more like, wash. Stick an R in there. Warsh. You see what I'm saying? It's the reason why sometimes people in different parts of the country say pop, and in other parts of the country they say soda. In some parts they say Coke, right? Our language comes from, from being socialized where we are, okay? Our behavior comes from watching and imitating. It's why parents, children here, it's why your parents are so concerned about who you spend time with. Because who you spend time with in many ways can determine who you become, right? 
We are people who become who we are by watching and by imitating. It's why television, what we watch with television, the kind of music that we listen to or the video games that we play, those things have significant consequences, right? You should take them seriously. And it's this basic principle in life that who we are and what we become is as much caught as it is taught. It's a reality, okay? We are social creatures. Who we become is as much caught as it is taught, right? And this is absolutely sure, as it is true of all of our life, it's absolutely certainly true of our Christian life. It applies to our Christian life equally. Our understanding of what it means to live the life that God has called us to is shaped through conscious and unconscious observation. That's why it's important for kids to be in the service. Right? They don't know it, but they see you worshiping Jesus during this time. Right? And week after week, it shapes and it forms them. And they understand, oh, this is how you pray. Right? Because they see maybe a mom or a dad praying. Or a brother or a sister or an uncle or an aunt pray. And then they repeat the prayer. It's how I learned how to pray. And it's the reason why sometimes if you listen to my dad pray over a meal... It sounds an awfully lot like how I pray over a meal, right? The way we love one another, the way we serve one another, the way we talk, if we talk Christianly, it's because we listen to other people talk and we say, oh, that's how a Christian sounds. That's how I should sound too. The way we think, the way we love, the way we give, all, many of these things are formed and shaped primarily by watching men and women who we want to emulate, right? And then we mimic them. The question that this text forces us to ask this morning is not whether we shall learn from others through our watching. The question this text asks us is who are we watching and for what are we watching? Earlier in chapter 2, Paul charges his readers to follow the example of Christ. This phenomenal passage that we see really in verses chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And his charge to the church at Philippi is to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christians, by definition, give themselves to constant watching and imitating of Jesus Christ. And to do this well, what are the resources that we use to, to follow in the way of Jesus? Well, obviously we have his word, right? As Christians, he gives us his word. We learn his story. We hear the words that he said, the actions that he took, the way that he loved. And we mimic, we imitate, we follow Jesus. He gives us, thank God, his spirit. So the very spirit of God himself as Christians dwells in us and, and encourages us and empowers us to live the life that he's called us to live. So we're not just on our own strength trying to do it, but he also, in his grace, gives us real living in the flesh examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. He, he allows there to be people who themselves have embraced the way of Jesus and have embodied it so that as we think through, what does it look like as a 13-year-old kid to follow Jesus in junior high? That we can look around and we can see 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds who have done it and are doing it well and we can try to imitate them. 
every aspect of our walk with Jesus. We should be constantly looking and watching and asking, is this person worth watching? Is this person worth watching? That is the question this text begs us to ask this morning. And luckily, what Paul does is he provides two wonderful examples of faithful Christian servants who are worth watching. Now, my prayer for our church specifically, for Parkview East, is that our culture would be one that is filled with watching and inviting others in to watch us. Watching the way of Jesus embodied in faithful brothers and sisters here among us. And this is exactly what Paul... At first glance, these words, like even when I read them, there's probably some of you maybe thinking to yourself, what's he going to have to say about these verses? Right? Because at first glance, it just seems like a travelogue, right? He's making future plans. In fact, if you were to open up commentaries and see how what are the heading over this, some of the headings are just future plans, right? Just simply logistics. Well, actually, there's much more in these verses than simple, basic logistics. Now, granted, these verses are not Philippians 1, 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Right? It's not chapter 4, verse 13, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're probably not going to find verses 19 through 30 on a t-shirt or on a mug or on a license plate. Probably ain't going to happen. However, there is wonderful beauty in these verses. Useful, useful truth that is eternal and is practical. Incredibly practical. As we think about what we're trying to create here at Parkview East, it is so incredibly helpful. And so... Let's put them to work. My points this morning are simple. we got three points. The first point, you're going to have to really put on your creative you know, hats to, to let this absorb. The first point is Timothy. The second point, the second point, as you're writing this down, I'll slow down just to give you time to write it down. The second point is Epaphroditus. Okay? And the third point is us. Okay, so Timothy, Epaphroditus, and us. First we learn, in verses 19 through 24, we learn one of these servants that is we should be watching, who is worth watching, his name is Timothy. Verses 19, we learn that Paul has future plans to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. Remember, Paul is writing these words in Rome. He is in prison, he is suffering because he has committed his life to proclaiming the gospel message. He is in prison in Rome, and Philippi is a long ways away, and they sent Epaphroditus to him with some gifts to care for him and serve him. While he's there, Timothy, Timothy is with him. So Epaphroditus comes from Philippi, bearing gifts from this church. And now Paul writes them a letter, and he most likely is going to send that letter back to the church of Philippi by the hands of Epaphroditus. Okay? So he says at first that he was, he's going to eventually send Timothy. And the reason he wants to send Timothy, his intent for sending him, comes from his desire, he tells us in verse 19, to be cheered by news of you. Paul loves these people. He loves this church. Remember, he planted this church. And any news of their well-being while he's in prison on behalf of Christ will send him cheer. It will bring him joy. He loves them so much. But he isn't ready to send Timothy. Not yet. Why? Because Paul needs Timothy. He's useful to, Timothy, to Paul right here, right now with Paul. 
Listen to how Paul speaks of his relationship and his char- the character of Timothy. Two things I think are useful in noticing about this in this passage about Timothy. First of all, as we see that Timothy is formed by watching Paul. He is the very fruit of faithful watching. And who is he watching? He's watching Paul. Verse 20, Paul says that he has no one like Timothy. In Acts 16, when you learn about the story of how Paul initially goes to Philippi, before he goes to Philippi is when he meets, at the very beginning, Acts 16, verses 1 through 5, is when he first meets Timothy. And he, he finds him, he sees that he has been raised by these faithful followers of Jesus and his grandmother and his mother who have taught him scriptures. He meets him and he takes him with him to Philippi. So he's got some history with, this, with these folks as well. And he calls him someone who is, he has no one like him. The word here literally means he is of equal soul. He has the same mind, the same spirit. For those of you who are Anne of Green Gables fans out there, anybody, okay, you would know that what he's talking about here is, another term would be a bosom friend. If, If Paul is Anne of Green Gables, Timothy is his Diana Berry, right? That's what it is, all right? A bosom friend, no one like him, equal soul. He calls him later on in the passage, he will go on and call him his own son. He refers to him as his son all throughout his epistles. As he talks to Timothy, writes to Timothy, writes with Timothy, he refers to him as his son. He has proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. But in Paul, what's so unique about Paul, the unique advantage, sorry, about Timothy, what makes him so unique is not necessarily... His ability, right? Or his uniqueness doesn't come from primarily his character. What's so unique and so special about Timothy is, is who Timothy is in relationship to Paul. His, it's, his, his usefulness is not rooted in his uniqueness. Rather, it's rooted in his closeness to Paul. Timothy's understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, to be on the path towards Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus, comes from watching Paul do it. He he is formed by watching Paul. And as a result, Paul says, this man is also worth watching. So Timothy is formed by watching Paul. The second thing we learn from Timothy is that Timothy is a man who is primarily concerned with the well-being of others. This is another thing that makes Timothy so useful. Timothy illustrates the exact attitude that Paul is calling the Philippians to have. What makes him worth watching is his constant concern for the lives of those around him, for those other than himself. He's described in verse 20 as being genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. And in verse 21, Paul contrasts him to another group of people who are motivated through selfish ambition, but not Timothy. He is preoccupied not with his own interests, but with the interests of others. He sees his service to Paul and his concern for the church as a means by which he serves Jesus himself. And folks, this is an example. This is an example, Paul says, that is worth watching, that is worth imitating, right? It's a significant challenge for us today, though, isn't it? To to be a person who is completely other-focused, who's constantly thinking of the well-being of others in the group before thinking about my own needs. 
And as we think about what it looks like to create a gospel, a culture here that is shaped by the gospel, that, that follows in the way of Jesus, and, and also you could say in the way of Paul, in the way of Timothy, and in the way of Epaphroditus, it, it would be a, a culture that is shaped by the constant thinking of those around us. And the greatest challenge, the most significant challenge that we will face as we seek to create that culture here in this place is individualism. Is individualism, rampant individualism in our culture, in Western culture. Western culture places the individual at the center of life and makes the society, the group, a servant to the individual. And as a result, our bent is to put our rights our preferences ahead of the interests of our brothers and sisters. And this is absolutely antithetical to the way of Jesus. If we are to be a Jesus people, if we want to see a Jesus movement, it's not going to be centered around my rights, my preferences, my comfort. Absolutely not. Paul says, look to Timothy. What makes him an individual who is worth watching is his constant concern for his brothers and sisters. He's absolutely the embodiment of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How, how he puts to forward this idea of we should follow Jesus. Timothy is the embodiment of that. Who in humility considers others more significant. Who look not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. This is what Jesus Christ himself did. This is how he got to the cross. It's not by thinking of his own comfort or his own desires, but by thinking of our needs, by thinking of us first. So that's Timothy. What do we learn from Epaphroditus? Paul moves on from Timothy to describe a man that he is sending back to the church, right? Remember, Epaphroditus came to Paul because he was sent from this church, so Paul's sending him back. Uh, he may be a character that you may not have heard of or be unfamiliar with this morning, but Paul speaks of him in absolutely glowing terms in this passage, right? He refers to him as a brother, as a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. To get an idea of how remarkable this man is, look at verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed so he longs for the church of Philippi, and because of the distance, he's distressed. Why is he distressed? Because you heard that he was ill. So his stress level is not based on his illness. Rather, he's stressed out because they heard he was ill. And so their concern for him causes him stress, right? He doesn't want to be a burden for these people. This is a remarkable, remarkable individual. Why does Paul speak so glowingly about this brother? What is it about him that's so admirable? Well, I think there's several possibilities. Now, one, um, a lot of folks think that perhaps what was happening here in these verses is that the church of Philippi really wanted Timothy, right? They, they had a relationship with Timothy. They've known him for 10 years. They watched him grow in maturity and faith, and they really wanted Timothy to come. That's one hypothesis. But instead, Paul sees Timothy's usefulness with him, and so he's sending him Epaphroditus, and what he doesn't want to have happen is for Epaphroditus to make this long trek, which makes many, many miles, many, many days, to show up to the church of Philippi, and for the Philippians to be like, oh, you came, Epaphroditus, right? It's one possible reason. He's trying to build up Epaphroditus as a man that they would receive with joy, and that they would honor him, it says later in verse 29. Right? I kind of think, there's a, that's possible, but I also think it might be reading a little bit 
too much into the text. Because nowhere does it say that the Philippians were expecting Timothy, right? So I think it might be reading between the lines a bit. I think the real clue as to why he speaks so glowingly and so wonderfully about this brother, obviously because he is true, this is who this man is, but also I think the clue comes in verse 30. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to look at verse 30. It says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. If you underline your Bibles, you can underline our Bibles too, that's fine. But if I were to underline anything in that, in that section about Epaphroditus, it would be that phrase right there. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. When Paul speaks of Epaphroditus, what makes Epaphroditus so remarkable, so wonderful, is that Epaphroditus was willing for the sake of Christ and for the good of his brothers and sisters to put his very life at risk. His commitment to Jesus and to Jesus' people nearly cost this brother his life. He did not make his own safety or his own comfort his priority. Rather, he opened himself up. He exposed himself to danger, to harm, to sickness for the good of his brothers and sisters. Epaphroditus mirrors what Paul tells us in chapter uh, 2, verses 7 to 8 about Jesus, that Jesus himself was obedient to God even to the point of death. So Epaphroditus' allegiance, his obedience to Jesus nearly cost him his life. Epaphroditus was about taking risks where the gospel was concerned. When he thought about the gospel advancing in his country, when he thought about the gospel movement going forward and spreading across the world, Epaphroditus was willing to risk it all to see that it would happen. His example stands as a challenge to all of us who seek personal security above personal sacrifice. And as we look around, even in this room, I, can th I could rattle off names in this room right now who follow this example, who, who are willing to take all of their chips and push them over to Jesus and risk everything that they have for his service and their joy. Those things are not at odds, right? As they push those chips over to Jesus, as they risk relationships, as they risk finances, as they risk comfort and health even for the sake of Christ, the Bible tells us their joy actually increases. It actually increases, okay? And what are we to do as we think of men and women in this room who embody this exact same way of living? What are we to do with them? Well, he tells us we are to receive them with joy and we are to honor such men and women. We are to receive them with joy and honor them. Epaphroditus is a brother who shows us how we honor one another. And the last point is I, I want to really just take these two truths. If you think of Timothy, he's overwhelmed with concern for others. And if you think of Epaphroditus, his gospel character, what Jesus produced in him was his willingness to risk everything. So Timothy, you could just say concern. And in Epaphroditus, you could say risk. Okay? And these things are things that we should emulate, that we should follow. So how do we apply them here? We, we talk a lot here the last point, I just want to apply it. So this is the third point, us, okay? 
We talk a lot here about the gospel. A couple weeks ago I stood up here and there's a book that was just called The Gospel. Just gave it away. As we read through the book of Philippians, it's really easy to continually talk about the gospel because Paul continually talks about the gospel. Our heart, our hope is that as you walk in these doors every morning, every Sunday morning, as you interact with folks from this place, that every element of what we would do would be absolutely soaked with the gospel to the point where every message, every song, every class that's offered, every prayer that's submitted, even the flow of our service on Sunday mornings would be dripping wet with the gospel goodness. All right? That's our prayer, that the gospel would be the thing that shapes us and forms us. And so we want to immerse ourselves in this message. And, and Philippians makes it really easy, right? So we've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about the gospel and how the gospel is not about our works and what we do, but about his works and what he has done. The good news about the gospel is not that our salvation is earned by us, but that it was purchased by him, right? Now, that being said, I wanted to take just a quick moment to bring out a little bit of clarity. If you're not careful, what you can think of is that the fact that Jesus bought our salvation spilled his blood to secure our place in heaven. That you would think that that truth, that wonderful reality, is at odds with our obedience. My hope is that as we've seen the wonderful news of the gospel, the truth that it is, a, is, is the result of God's grace being handed to us and our receiving it in faith, that we would not be resistant to obedience. Now, we put obedience in its place. It does not bring us our obedience, doesn't bring us our salvation. His obedience brought, brings us our salvation, right? But at the same time, obedience is absolutely critical in the life of the believer. You cannot open up this book, go to any page, and not see God calling us, his people, to a life, to embrace a life of radical, committed obedience to Jesus, right? You can't do it. A wonderful, wonderful word, verse is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, where we see these things come together in beautiful, beautiful harmony. The verse is this. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. He, Jesus died. He took our sins. They were placed on his body. He bore them when he hung on the cross that we might die to sin. The result of his crucifixion, of his death, was our putting to death the power of sin in our body, right? So Jesus' work on the cross accomplishes our salvation. It secures our destination. It purchases our justification when his blood was spilled on the ground that day. But it wasn't just our salvation that it purchased. It was also our obedience Philippians 2, sorry, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He didn't just die on the cross to purchase our salvation. His blood also purchased our obedience. It, it moves us to be a people who embrace a lifestyle marked by righteousness and who pursue a path marked by godliness. It's the reason why Paul can give exhortation after exhortation after exhortation, command after command after command. 
Because there is a way that we are supposed to live. There is a lifestyle we are supposed to embrace. There are commands we are supposed to obey. And as we see these things, they come in and out of his letter of Philippians. The gospel, salvation, our justification and obedience, our sanctification, and how they work together. In and out. The other theme that is woven throughout this book is the theme of joy. That when we see these two realities, our salvation, our justification, our eternal destination being secured, and our motivation to obey him and to walk a path marked by him, when we see these two things come together, the result is joy. It's an amazing thought to think that God is after the most possible joy for you. He's after his own glory, to be sure, but he also wants, as we step into his plan and the, the path that he's laid for us, he also wants us to be experiencing fullness of joy. So lastly, as we two, two challenges I just want to give us real quick before we close this morning. The first challenge is, first of all, is to be someone who is worth watching. Be an individual. If this is true, if, it is, if God has brought us into a people so that we can watch one another, we can imitate and mimic one another, we can learn from one another, then the first challenge is to be somebody who's worth watching. Don't be one of those cheesy Netflix shows that I get two episodes into, and I'm like, this is crazy, this is trash, this is filth, right? Don't be like that. Live a life that is worth watching. It may seem preposterous and completely arrogant to say, look at me, right? However, Paul says, look at me. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Jesus, right? Be a follower of me. If you want to see, our, our life in many ways should be the greatest apologetic that we have. We can learn all sorts of facts, historical facts, all sorts of doctrine and theological facts that we can teach folks, but if we really have somebody who's interested in exploring the Christian faith, every one of us who call ourselves Christians should be able to confidently go before them and say, do you want to know what it means to follow Jesus? they say, yeah, then you should be able to say, follow me. Follow me as I follow him. Spend time with me. Watch how I love my children, how I love my wife. Watch how I handle and navigate conflict or suffering or difficulty or trial. Watch how I talk about my God. Watch, listen to how I pray. Watch how the, the shows and the music that I watch is a little different than maybe you would see other people because there's certain things I don't want to partake in, right? Watch how I spend time with my friends. Watch me. Is your life worth watching? Do you have people who you are inviting to watch you? Do you have people right now who you can think of, who you can name regardless of your age? This is not, this is not an age thing. Regardless of who you are, if you call Jesus your king, do you have folks in your life who you are inviting in to watch you? It's a challenge. Think about it. Evaluate. Consider it. I want to extend a call. If you're here and, and what you would refer to as maybe a more of a seasoned saint, shall we say? Somebody who's maybe been around longer than some of the other younger folks here. And I'm not going to put myself in either camp because I could probably go in either camp, right? Some think I'm old. I still think I'm young. All right? Just don't let the hair fool you. Okay? But if you're here this morning and you're a seasoned saint, 
Maybe you have a few more years than some of us. The wonderful truth of this message is that there's no sidelines where the church is concerned. Okay? I think one of the greatest mistakes that the church makes today, and I mean big church, like the church in the West specifically, the American church, is that we tend to overemphasize youthfulness. Right? We tend to overemphasize, and I, I, I'll confess that there's times when I've done this as well. We overvalue youthfulness. That is not the biblical way. It's not. Right? I mean, we have child dedications to come up here and to say, hey, these kids are starting and we're dedicating them, and it's completely biblical and completely right. Right? But as a church, we should also seek intentional opportunities where we receive our seasoned brothers and sisters with joy and we honor them. One of the greatest ways, if you're, if you're younger here today, one of the greatest ways you can honor a person who maybe is a few steps down the road ahead of you is to ask them, can I watch you? Can, can you teach me how to be a good man? Can you teach me how to be a good woman, a good father, a mother, a good student? One of the greatest ways you can honor somebody in this room this morning is to ask them to let you watch their life. It's one of the greatest ways you can honor them. There's no sidelines here. There are no signs. I do not, sidelines. I do not care your age. Everybody in here who's walking with Jesus. Now, you might look and say, there's sidelines right over there. There's a basketball court. But just imagine with me for a moment that there aren't any sidelines, right? Every single one of us, this is a call for the church, regardless of how old you are. Every single one of you have something to contribute, right? And we can set up classes where folks can learn how to be a disciple, but the most effective way, the most effective way to understand what it means to follow Jesus is to get into a relationship with somebody else and let them, ask them if you can watch their life. Watch their life. Folks, I would love if this place was filled, filled with, if your calendars, let's say that, if your calendars were filled with lunch dates, coffee dates, with folks in this room who you are asking questions to. How do you read the Bible? How did you deal with this? Right? And I'm telling you, in an individualized sort of culture, this is not natural. Right? For many of us, our garages are the first thing we see when we pull up to our house. Because we go in our garage and then we don't connect with folks around us. The front porch has been pushed back. Right? There's no more front porch. Because we want to individualize virtually everything. Right? And the Bible wasn't written in it to an individualistic culture by an individualistic culture and neither should the church be one we are a community of people we if we want to have any success if we want to see any growth in our life we need to covenant and into relationship with one another we need to invite extend our hands out and invite other people into our lives open up our hearts and share okay this is one area as a church i think we just really need to grow and I guess on the tails of that, the last thing I would just say is be someone who's worth watching. And secondly, just find somebody who, you, who, you, who is worth watching for you to watch. So be somebody that others can watch, and you should be looking down the road at somebody else as well. All right? Very good. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for, Lord, just these families this, uh, um, who have you know, made the decision, Lord, that they want to raise their children to love and to fear you. Lord, I pray that you would um, 
be with them and that they would even just think of these words this morning, Lord, that the importance of surrounding their children um, with men and women who are running after you and who embrace, fully embrace the way of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would allow each person in this room to, to really consider um, those questions. Who is it that we are watching, Father, and who's watching us? Um, I pray that you would allow us to um, clearly see um, the, the difference between the way of the world and the way of your Son, Lord, and that you would allow us to have the strength to be committed, Lord, to staying on that path. Lord, we thank you for um, your Son. We thank you for his death on the cross and um, just the, the, the place that it secured for us in eternity. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.